So last week we opened up the passage that talked about Moses and the burning bush. And we talked about how um, God reveals himself to us, how God is actively involved in our everyday lives, and um, how even though we might feel like sometimes God is distant or far off or uninvolved, um, that he is in fact near and he is actively involved. So we saw God reveal himself to Moses in three ways. He revealed his greatness, he revealed his, his love or his concern for the people, and then he finally revealed his will, his plan, what he wanted to do to rescue the Israelites. And so God reveals those same things to us today. Um, this week, we are going to kind of do the second half of that conversation. So the first half of the conversation, uh, Moses sees the burning bush, he approaches it, and God uh, begins to speak to him through the bush and kind of gives him the lowdown, tells him what um, he is calling Moses to do. And then at the end, he says, he says, I've seen my people in Egypt, and so go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh uh, to deal with this, to get my people out of there. And um, Moses has some words uh, to say to God in response to this. So I don't know about you, but um, in my life, when I was really little, I had a super unrealistic view of my parents. So how many of you, like when you were younger, thought your mom and your dad were like Superman? Like they were, like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like you remember when mom and dad were Superman and they didn't do any wrong and they were, they were awesome. The best people in the world that you knew were mom and dad. Um, I know for me, when I was about five years old, my parents went through a divorce. And as soon as that happened, that kind of innocent view of mom and dad uh, left me. It, it, was, it was gone. I, I got the opportunity, if you want to call it an opportunity, to see my mom and my dad sin uh, kind of up front. And for all of you who raised your hands, you know that at some point in your life, you witnessed mom and dad's sin. And that kind of perfect Superman, Superwoman view of them uh, kind of drifted away. And you, you began to see them uh, as people, as human beings, right? Because uh, the closer you are to somebody, the more human they are. Uh, some of you might think, uh, I've actually been told this, uh, that uh, somebody has told me and Sarah that it appears that we have, like, the perfect life. Uh, like, they see pictures that we put on online or on social media. They see uh, things that we do. They see all of these things, and they're like, oh, you guys must have a perfect life. They know I'm a pastor, so on and so forth. And a lot of times people think that, you know, somebody in my position might be, like, a perfect person or... Uh, have this this life that is unattainable or whatever. The reality is is that's not true. Um, we're people too. We make mistakes. And uh, the closer that you get to me, if you have the opportunity, which I hope you'll have the opportunity to get close with me uh, as you kind of go through high school, but the closer you get to me, the more of my sin you will see. The reason why is because greatness or uh, the appearance of greatness is something usually seen from a distance, right? Uh, it happens all the time when uh, people meet, like, their favorite athlete or something like that, like this person that they look up to, and they finally meet them, and they realize that, oh, wow, this person's actually a jerk, and they're not very nice, and whatever, you know? It just, it happens. Um, but so, I say all that to say, like, we, we have this very unrealistic view of a lot of people. We just do. Uh, maybe there's somebody in school that you have an unrealistic view of. Maybe there's somebody at home that you have an unrealistic view of. Maybe there's somebody here that you have an unrealistic view of, that you just kind of see them as this perfect image or whatever. But the reality is also that we, 
our unrealistic views of people transfer to the way that we see God. And we have this unrealistic view of God. And the way that we do it is this. We think that God can only use perfect people who have it all together. Or that God only calls perfect people who have it all together. Or people that walk into a church because they know God, they have it all together. And while there's an aspect of being a Christian and following Jesus that calls us to grow in holiness and calls us to live differently, um, we're in process, right? If you're a Christian in here, you understand this. We're in process. We're we are, uh, watching and witnessing God throughout our everyday life strip away our sin nature and replace it with the image of Jesus. And this is a process, right, that happens in our lives. We are, we are in the process of growing more and more holy. We are growing more and more like Jesus. We are growing more and more like Christ. Our desire for sin is decreasing, and our desire for righteousness is increasing, right? This is, this is the way of life as a Christ follower. Now, here's the deal. Here's a big indicator if you're actually in Christ. I know uh, a lot of teenagers and even adults struggle with uh, something called assurance. And assurance is basically, basically this thing where we are assured or certain of our salvation. Can you be certain? Can you know for sure that you are saved? The answer to that question is yes, you can. Um, the Bible actually lays out uh, very clearly what it looks like for somebody to be saved. And growing in holiness is one of those things. So somebody asks me, how do I know I'm saved? One of the questions, one of the many questions I'll ask them is this. Do you have an increasing love for God and holiness and righteousness and the people of God, right, the church, and a, and a decreasing love for your sin? If that is happening in your life, if you're your love for God is increasing and your hatred for sin is increasing. Um, that is a sign and evidence that God is at work in you. And the reality of this process um, should remind us that God chooses to use broken people. Not, not, not people who have it all together. But that God chooses to use broken people to accomplish his work here. God calls people who are in sin and hurting. People who are suffering because of their sin to follow him. And God does this so that he can use these broken people to do his work and spread the kingdom on earth to talk about how good he is to others, right? And we see God doing this with Moses. We see, we see God choosing little old Moses to show his greatness, right? Before this interaction with Moses, 40 years before God calls Moses in the wilderness at this bush, Moses is living in the same house as Pharaoh. He's he is, uh, his, his adopted mother is actually Pharaoh's daughter, so um, Pharaoh is his, what would that be, like great uncle? Great, no, his uncle, right? Grandpa, grandpa. Pharaoh is like grandpa, it's something like that. So he is a family member of Pharaoh, but he is a Hebrew, right? Uh, Moses was born a Hebrew. Uh, Pharaoh declared that all Hebrew boys needed to be murdered as soon as they were born and thrown into the Nile River, and so... Uh, Moses' mom, three months after he was born, um, kind of ironically put Moses in the river, but she put him in the river in a basket. And that basket floats down the river, ironically, to Pharaoh's house, um, to where Pharaoh's family would go to the Nile to bathe. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and adopts him. And so Moses grows up in, under the culture of Egypt. Moses, gr Moses grows up as an Egyptian royal person. Um, uh, some of you may have seen the movie, like, Prince of Egypt. Uh, raise your hand if you've seen that, the cartoon of this story. Okay, great. 
So it's good for some reasons, it's bad for some reasons. There are some things in there that's accurate, there are some things in there that aren't. But um, it gives us a picture, of how, it gives a great picture for how Moses grew up, and that Moses grew up in a royal house. And so Moses goes out when he's an adult, he goes out when he was about 40 years old, and he uh, witnesses a Hebrew, one of his people, getting beaten. And what he does is he attacks the Egyptian guy that's beating him, he ends up killing him. And uh, in shame, Moses finds out that other people heard about this. It didn't happen in secret. And so Moses, for fear of finding out, flees Egypt and flees the wrath of Pharaoh because Pharaoh is going to kill him for killing an Egyptian. And so this is 40 years later. And God calls a murderer, a murderer, somebody who killed somebody else to do his work. Why? Because that's just how God works. God doesn't call perfect people to accomplish his purposes. God calls broken people, and he redeems them, and he sends them. And we see this here in this passage. We see um, God give Moses clarity in this passage. Moses doesn't really know how to do what it is that he does. He even says, like, God, will these people believe me? Um, Who am I, a little old Moses, to be able to do this great thing that you have called me to do? How can I accomplish it? Um, I don't know what to say. And so God actually, and through this conversation, he gives him clarity on what it is that he's called him to do and how he's called him to do it. Just like you and I, as we are called to do the work of God here, God promises to give us clarity. Some of you might not feel like you have clarity. The, the, the will of God might be something for you that is mysterious and unknown, but the reality is, is that um, God has clearly laid out what he's called us to do in his word. And if you are genuinely interested in finding that out, I, I know he will reveal it to you. He will reveal it to you. God doesn't just give Moses clarity in this conversation. He gives him confidence, right? Moses kind of doubts himself. He sees himself as this, as this small, insignificant man, unable to accomplish these great, magnificent things that God has called him to do. And Moses kind of argues with God, and he says, like, like, I can't do this. And God gives him the confidence to do so. He tells Moses exactly what to say. He tells Moses that he is going to have victory in it. He actually guarantees victory. He says that Pharaoh will first resist, but then in Pharaoh's resistance, God will display his power. He will overcome the will of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh will let the people go. And so this isn't just a call to go do something. It's a call to go do something that we're guaranteed victory in. It's the same thing for the work that God has called us to do. The will of God for each of our lives is to, is to make disciples, to invest in other people, to take the things that we are learning about God and to share them with other people. It's that simple. That's what God has called us to do. And to do that wherever we are. So where are you guys at every day? School, right. And so the way that you make disciples in school is not just taking the things that you get out of hype every week but taking the things that you get out of hype and your regular walk with God throughout the week and taking that and passing it on to the people in your life. Not just the people that you're super close with, but intentionally building relationships with people that you might not know in order to have these conversations and to spread this news. And God guarantees not just clarity for us, but confidence. And the confidence that we get, we receive in the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit enables us, it empowers us, it gives us the power and the desire to do what pleases Him, to, to go and spread this good news. And so we can do this. But the reality is that some, some of you in here are not interested in this work. You're not interested in this work. 
the call on your life to make disciples is something that you're, you're just, it doesn't move you. You don't care. That's okay. The reason why you don't care may be because God is not at work in your life. You are not saved. And so if you, if you desire to be saved, another indicator of our salvation, another thing that we can be assured of our salvation is our desire to do the work of God in our community. The moment we are saved, God gives us a desire to talk about him. Because we, we receive this joy in God. The moment Moses encounters God here, what does he call him to do? Go do this. Go to Pharaoh and tell him that I want these people, that the Lord says these people need to be set free. Moses didn't do anything, but when God called Moses to do this, Moses went. He went. And even though he was, he was scared, even though he was worried, even though he didn't have it all figured out, God not only gave him clarity and confidence, but he gave him comfort. He sent him to do it with somebody else. At the end of this passage, when we're in groups, you'll see that Moses, by the end of the conversation, Moses literally says, Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. Please send somebody else. And God responds by saying, yeah, I'll send somebody else, but he's going to go with you and you're going to do it with him. And so in this person, in Aaron, God sends Aaron, which is Moses' brother, to do this with him. Why? Because Moses is going into hostile territory, just like you and I go into hostile territory every day. We go into a world that does not know God with the mission to share the love of God with the people that we interact with. It's hostile. It's, it's, it's difficult, right? It can be dangerous. We are not sent alone. This is why we, we do it together. The people of God, the church, our role as the body of Christ, my role as your brother in Christ, is to do this with you and to give you comfort to assure you that you can do it with me. We do it together. I don't do ministry alone here in Eureka. I do it with you guys. The adult leaders do not do ministry here in Eureka. We do it with you guys. It's not alone. We're not loners in this. We do this together. And so be comforted by the reality of God's clarity, his confidence, and his comfort. But the interesting thing is, is this. If you don't know him, you cannot get these things. You cannot get these things. Many people exhaust themselves with church attendance and righteous things, thinking that that is what causes them to get a relationship with God. The reality is, is that our relationship with God comes when we admit our need for being saved and we, we give our lives to Christ and we, we, we understand how much sin has conquered our hearts and separated us from God. And God opens our eyes to see the sacrifice of Jesus and we're able to embrace that. We're able to believe that fully, to trust in that, to stake our life in that truth that Christ died for us. And that God calls us, in light of Christ's death, God calls us to live lives, new lives of godliness in our community for his glory and for our good. And so what I want you to do is I want you to spend some time uh, reading Exodus 3, 10 through 15. So Exodus 3, 10 through 15. So girls, you guys can kind of huddle up in a group over here. And then guys, you can huddle up in a group over here. And I just want you to spend like 10 minutes, and we can break into two groups, so... Like, for guys, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. There's 11 of you. So, so like, 
we can go six and five or five and six or whatever. But a uh, few of you go that way. A few of you that go this way. Um, and then read these two sections, Exodus 3.10 through 15, Exodus 4.10 through 17, and, and wrestle the question of how you see these three things happening in these, this passage. How is God giving Moses clarity? How is God giving Moses confidence? How is God giving Moses comfort in these passages? Yeah, so what's the source in that? What verse is that? What's the source of Moses' confidence in verse 12? God. So it's, 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 let me ask you something. If I tell you tomorrow to go talk about Jesus with one person you don't know, how are you going to feel? Okay, louder, I can't hear you. What did you say? Awkward, pressured, scared. Okay, I'm hearing a lot from this side of the room. The girl's got a lot to say. What about you fellas? What do you got? Huh? Uncomfortable? Yeah? It'd be nervous? Silent? Now let me ask you something. Why do you think we would feel those emotions? Because everything that you just said is the opposite of confidence. If God gives us confidence, why do, we, why do you think we feel those, feel those emotions? Where's our confidence? Our confidence is in our own abilities. To do it, and the reason why our com- the reason why I know our confidence is in our own ability to do it is because is we don't do it, right? Like we do- we don't. The reason we don't go share the gospel with people in joy, not out of obligation, but in joy, is because we get our confidence from us, and that confidence is small, if it n- at all anything. It's just it's it's not there, and so we see Moses here. God literally says, go, I will teach you what to say. I will, in, I will enable you to talk. I will, I will help you talk. I will help you know what to say. What this means is this. Our presentation of the gospel does not have to be perfect. It does not have to be perfect. God does not call us to be perfect in sharing the gospel. He calls us to be faithful in sharing the gospel, to do it, to make an effort. If there's any pressure we should feel, that pressure is from God because this is something God commands us to do. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. This is, this is something that all believers in Christ are called to do. And we, we, we play church here, but we don't go there. Church should not look like a building with a bunch of people going into it. Church should look like a building with a bunch of people going out of it into the community to do this in confidence because God is the source of that confidence. God gives them the ability to act. So what about the other two? Clarity, comfort. Where do we see those two things? And I'll just keep doing this while I talk because funny people have weird mannerisms. What's that? Yeah, so his clarity isn't just in what to say. His clarity is in who God is, right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he identifies himself. 
right? So one of the, there's a really cool reason actually why God did this. So the culture of Egypt was uh, they worship many gods. And so Moses, who would have grown up in a culture of many gods, would have known about many gods. And so when he says, what's his name? Moses is actually saying, like, which God are you? You say you're God, which God are you? And God identifies himself as the God of Abraham's descendants, the one true God, I am who I am. Basically, what he is telling Moses is, I am, I am the God who creates, I am the God who sustains, I am the God who is everlasting, I have no beginning, I have no end, I am, I am, I am, I am unchanging, I am forever. And so God is, is not just saying, I am, like we hear that and we're like, well, that's weird. But what he's actually communicating is that he is the God above any God that Egypt has thought up or worshipped. That he's supreme and reigns over all of it. And so Moses is hearing from this God, I'm supreme over every God in Egypt. And then he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what to say and I'll enable your mouth. So now you see the reason why he has so much confidence is because of the clarity that he has in God. Like, this, this, this is for real. This is legit. This is, this is not a joke. This is not, like, this God is for real, and he's calling me to do this. And that's where his confidence is coming from, is out of that clarity. So what about comfort? Yeah, it's you guys. Comfort. Comfort, comfort. Hold on. You were about to say something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so think about your own life personally, and you can answer this too, Eli, if you want. Um, I'm just, I, I want, I'm not asking just you. But think about your own life personally. Why would knowing God is with you and someone else is with you bring you comfort? You're not alone, but why would not being alone comfort you? I know it seems like an obvious question, but like, explain it. What's comforting about the presence of somebody else with you? Speak up! Yeah, to help you learn. If you don't know what to say, maybe they do, right? They can help you out. Um, huh, what'd you say? Support you, yeah. You guys play sports, right? Why do you have teammates? What do your teammates do? You're not alone in your sports because you have teammates. What do they do? Right, they help you win, accomplish the task. If the task is winning, they help you accomplish it. What else do they do? What about when you're discouraged? They cheer you up, okay? What about when you blow it? They help you not blow it the next time, right? Like, hey, you messed this up a little bit. Here's something you did wrong. Let me help you see that so that together we can do it well the next time, right? Again, the, the call is not to be perfect. The call is to see those weaknesses and help one another. To see those strengths and call them out in one another, encourage each other. So take it and apply it to going and doing the work of God, right? Like we have each other. So if 
it automatically makes the situation less awkward when you go into a situation to have a conversation with somebody about faith and you know somebody's standing there that has your back. Immediately, it's less awkward. At the same time, if I commit to make disciples at, at school with a buddy of mine, now I can't chicken out because somebody else knows that I'm committing to that and we're doing it together. And so when I feel like chickening out, this person can call me out and be like, no, man, let's go, come on. Because, listen, here's the deal. We all chicken out. I chicken out. You chicken out. We chicken out. It happens. That's why we do it together. That's why we do it together. What about this? How would having somebody with you be helpful when somebody responds not well? Like they respond hostile to your, your, your gospel words, to your Jesus. Yeah. They can tell you to sit down and shut up so you don't do anything dumb, right? I've had somebody say that to me before. Hey, sit down, shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Because he saw me getting angry at this person because I got upset that they were attacking Jesus. I was on the phone. You guys remember Jay? So Jay told me to sit down and shut up today while we were on the phone. Like, it, it, it happens, right? Like, like but that's, that's, I was talking to Jay about some frustrations that I was having in my life. And he said, shut up. How can you hold this against this person when you got this going on over here? Why are you mad? Well, I'm mad because of this. Well, that's not a reason to be upset. That's not a reason to be mad. That's coming from a, a sinful heart, not a, not a righteous one. So he told me to shut up. Just, we have a relationship like that. We tell each other to shut up. We, we, we karate chop each other in the throat. That's what we do. He's a good friend like that. He beats me up, though, because he's bigger than me. But anyway, so we do this together. We do this together. Here's the deal, guys. We overcomplicate this, right? We overcomplicate it. We see this book, and we open it up, and we think it's like this great big hieroglyphs, and we 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 we... we we read it and we read it and we read it. It's so f- interesting when we get into small groups and you, you see a text like this and you're like, you ask a question like this and everybody's quiet, right? It happens all the time. We ask a question like this, everybody's quiet. And here's why, because everybody's trying to figure out what the secret answer is that nobody actually looks for the obvious one. Everybody's thinking that there's some secret, mysterious answer that the pastor is looking for but the pastor's just looking for the obvious answer. It's right there in the, in the words. It's there in the words. Just like when you take a test in school about comprehension over whatever book you're reading in English class, it's, it's, it's there in the words. We, we can see it. We don't, we don't have to overcomplicate it. Right? It's simple. A godly life does these three things. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's it. And we, we, we use this as a tool to guide us. And so we look at a story like Exodus, right? And we see this story in Exodus, and we're like, okay, Lord, it's in the Bible. So it's there to help us love God, love people, and make disciples. How do we see that in this passage? To love God, love people, make disciples. Well, we, we see you giving Moses clarity, confidence, and comfort. Well, how do you give me clarity, confidence, and comfort as I make disciples? And you see how this this 
this idea kind of gets unpacked, and then all of a sudden this text that was written 3,500 years ago has infinite value and worth on my life today and how I'm to live out my, my days, how I'm, to, how I'm to make disciples today, how I obey God today, how I, how I love people well today. Because the reality of it is this, and we're going to talk about this next week. God didn't have to send Moses to the Egyptians. Here's the wild thing. God would have been justified to just wipe them out. Why? He's God. He can do what he wants. It's, it's that simple. Why can God do what he wants? Because he's perfect. Why else can God do what he wants? Because he made everything. And everything is his. The shoes on your feet belong to God, but he has given them to you. Like, it is, God's ownership over this world is that in-depth. The shorts and pants you are wearing, the clothes on your back, whatever. God owns them, and he has given them to you. Your house, God owns it, he has given it to you. That chair, God has owned it, and he has given it to your bum temporarily, so you don't have to sit on the floor. Or for those of you who refuse his good gifts, I'm just kidding. Um... But, but God would be completely justified to just wipe out Egypt. And he actually says in Exodus chapter 9, and, that, and that's one of the passages that we will look at, God says, I could wipe you out. But in order make, to make my name known among the earth, I've let you live through these ten plagues. Because God uses the ten plagues to make his name known to them. So what I want you to do, and you guys can either stay in the groups, it's up to you. If you want some more, like, privacy, um, you can go in this back room, you can go in the offices, you can go over here. But I just want you, the now what questions at the end of, of section three, session three, I just want you to talk about those. Spend the next ten minutes or so talking about those. Um, at 8.30, leaders, close the group, pray. Um, and then at 8.30, what we're going to do, just so you know, we're going to tear all this stuff down. We have to tear all this stuff down tonight. We can't hang out for 30 more minutes. So if you usually hang out a little bit after hype, we need your help tearing this stuff down um, because what we're going to do is we're going to set up in here for a lunch um, for uh, Gina Dunbar's father, if you guys know who Gina is. Uh, her father passed away and his funeral is tomorrow, and so we're going to do a lunch here at Cross Point. So um, we could use your help setting up tables for that, but uh, leaders, if you want to find a room, find a space, if you want to do it in here, perfectly fine. At 8.30, uh, just make sure you pray, close your groups, and uh, we'll start tearing down. Thanks.